Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything, but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Lord, your word made flesh, your beloved son said that it is the spirit who gives life. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come even now and give us life. That you would illuminate your word as I preach in the hearts of those who hear. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Once again, it's great to see everyone tonight. We're getting toward the end of summer. And honestly, as a church, we're getting toward the end of our time meeting in this space on Sunday nights. Uh, next Sunday will be our last worship service here at Central Lutheran Church, and actually only half of the worship service will be here because the second half we will go down to Redeemer Bible Church after the preaching of the Word to have communion together in our new space as an opportunity for us to consecrate uh, that space as a place where we're going to worship and also as a chance for everyone to experience a new space, figure out where you're going to park and all that sort of thing. So just wanted to mention that up front. I'll mention it again in the announcements, but obviously we are um, looking forward to that and there's lots of spinning plates and things going on at the background. Um, so yeah, it's all very fun and exciting. And as part of an anticipation of that move and thinking about the ways that God works um, through people, through ordinary relationships, we're doing this series out of the book of Ruth. Um, so we'll be looking at Ruth for the next four weeks. And this week we're in chapter one. 
And I wanna look at the book of Ruth as it fits initially into the story of Israel and the biblical narrative itself and to see how God's redemption in this book is actually at work on multiple levels. So we have the immediate context of uh, Ruth and Naomi and Orpah in this passage and then the context of the book. But this book itself happens within the context of the age of the judges. Um, it's after the book of Judges, it's before the book of First and Second Samuel, and that pivot point is very important because the book of Judges is like the Coen Brothers movie of the Old Testament, and it's like watching Fargo to read that book of the Bible because it's just completely bonkers, and there's just insane violence, and people are doing whatever they want. In fact, the refrain of the book of Judges is, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It's a story of descent, of a spiraling down, of people forgetting who God is, but the fact that the book of Ruth happens during that time is instructive to us because it reminds us that there are faithful people even in faithless times. That Ruth and Boaz are faithful people even in faithless times. We can also look at the book in the context of Genesis and the redemption of two illegitimate lines of sons and kids. Um, I'd leave the details to you to go back into Genesis um, especially the origin of where Moab comes from, Lot and his daughters and things like that. But also at play is the story of Judah, one of the 12 tribes. And Judah had a couple of idiot sons, which is one of the great themes of the Old Testament, who didn't do what they were supposed to do, and the daughter-in-law had to take matters into her own hands, and the son Perez uh, because of the way that he was born, and according to the law, no person in his line for 10 generations could occupy a place of authority in Israel. So part of what's going on here is the book of Ruth shows the redemption of that line to legitimize the kingship of David, that David is 10 generations after Perez. It's very important, the movement of these generations and how redemption in the moment is always pulling from the past and looking forward to the future. So Genesis is in play, and 1 Samuel's in play, and Jesus is in play the true and better son of David. So in the context of David himself, we see that the way that God is at work through his ancestors to bring him, the man after his own heart, to the throne of Israel, the process of redeeming his family line through the faithfulness of the people in this book, the faithful people in a faithless time. And it's a nice way to sum this up. This commentator, Marion Ann Taylor, says this about the book of Ruth that it features poignant thematic reversals as it moves from famine to fullness, barrenness to fruitfulness, and isolation to community, and finally, from death to life. Famine to fullness, barrenness to fruitfulness, isolation to community, from death to life. But all of this glorious and wide-sweeping redemption hinges on seemingly small and very human decisions. And we see that especially this week with Ruth's decision to accompany Naomi back to Israel. The first five verses of the book that we didn't read tonight outline how it is that Naomi ended up in the land of Moab and not in the land of Israel. And we have to acknowledge that the story itself begins in tragedy. Her husband, Elimelech, takes his family to Moab. His name means, my God is king. That's what Elimelech means. 
but he does not live the truth of his name because he doesn't trust the God of the land of promise in a time of famine. Instead, he moves out of Bethlehem, which is the house of bread, to go into Moab, which are the enemies of the people of God. So yes, there is a famine. There is a material circumstance that is very real for them. But when we understand that in the light of God's promises to his people, famine in the land of promise is a sign of the people's unfaithfulness. Covenant people are meant to repent in those circumstances, not to take matters into their own hands. So Elimelech really wasn't having God as king, he was having himself as king, and he ends up dying. He dies in Moab, and so do his two sons, who are named Malon and Kilion, and their name means uh, pining and perishing. (laughs) So names are very important in the book of Ruth, Um, and we'll see that at play with Naomi as well. So Elimelech's name is ironic because God is not his king. And yet that name does point to a great theme of the book, the kingship of God at work to bring about redemption for his people. So even though Elimelech has forgotten his name, God has not forgotten his promise to redeem, even in the time of the judges when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And we see the action of God at work in our verses before us tonight. Look at verse 6. Then she, Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. This is one of only two references to God's direct action in the book of Ruth. God visiting his people in Israel and undoing the famine. Everything else in the book happens by what we would call providence which is God acting in and through his people to bring about his purposes, to bring about his redemption. But when we appeal to providence, and I really want you to hear this, when we appeal to providence, it must never be a way to swipe away suffering. It's not a way to gloss over real pain in people's lives because we see in Naomi's lament that she is truly grieving the loss of her husband and her two sons And she understands the depth of her predicament as a widow who has no real prospects. She is vulnerable. She is exposed. She has no real hope. So providence is at work. God is at work behind the scenes. We maybe know the end of the book, but we have to sit with the moment that Naomi is just left with dust in her hands. So Naomi cries out, And she pleads with her daughters-in-law to not come back with her to Israel. She pleads with them to turn back. Turn back, turn back, turn back is the repeated phrase. And in her speech, she vividly describes her dire circumstance. She has no more sons to give them. She gives a vivid example saying, if I got pregnant tonight, You'd still have to wait around for however long. This is not going to work out for you. I can't provide for you. All she can promise them is more desolation. And something that's at work in the background here is this idea of leverite leverite marriage, where a widow would be provided for with a son from the family to raise up uh, sons from that family line. But she's saying, I can't do that for you. 
The one thing that I should be able to offer you, I cannot offer you. And a key phrase for us in these verses is her plea to Orpah and Ruth that they would return to their mother's house. It's an emphatic way of saying, all the men that matter are dead. (laughs) We have nothing. It captures in a very real way the dire circumstances that all of these women, Ruth and Orpah included, find themselves in. So she pleads with them. She's emphatic. She says, turn back, turn back, turn back. She does not want her own desolation to spread any further. Turn back, she says, but Ruth does not. And that's the key moment. That's the hinge of everything. She instead turns toward Naomi, toward her people, Naomi's people, toward Naomi's land and toward Naomi's God. Despite everything that Naomi has said, despite what seemed like impossible circumstances, the text tells us that Ruth clings to Naomi. Clinging is covenant language used in Genesis to describe the marriage between man and woman. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. Ruth's clinging to Naomi is Ruth's covenant covenant promise to Naomi. And in this promise, she binds herself not just to Naomi, but to Naomi's God. Your people, your God, are now my people and my God. And this is what's pivotal for Ruth herself, that her settled determination to go with Naomi means precisely the renunciation of her family, her land, her gods. And in the context of the Old Testament, all three of those things are intimately entwined, family, land, and gods. So there is a spiritual geography that is at work, not just the literal movement from Moab into Israel, but Ruth's movement from the nations, the Gentiles, into the covenant people of God. And in clinging to Ruth and promising, or to Naomi, and making the promise she does, she finds herself a member of a new family. She finds herself moving into a new place and worshiping the God of the Bible, Yahweh. And this picture of salvation in terms of movement from one place to another is one of the grand themes of Scripture. That's the Exodus theme, out of the land of bondage into the land of promise. Redemption often means moving from one place to another. Paul neatly sums this up in the book of Colossians when he says that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. That's spiritual geography, moving from bondage to deliverance. And that's what Ruth is doing. This movement, this conception of spiritual geography is often tied to the language of turn and turning. So notice that Naomi says, turn back, turn back, turn back. But it is precisely Ruth's refusal to do so which sets the rest of the story in motion. She does not turn back. She turns toward Naomi and turns toward God and the land of promise. But in turning towards Naomi, she's turning away from her family, her land, her gods. She's turning away from curse and turning toward blessing 
but it doesn't look like that in the immediate circumstance. Going back to a place that just recently experienced famine, how is this all going to work out? But Ruth clings. She clings to Naomi. She renounces her land, her people, her gods, and she sums it up in these beautiful verses, verses 16 and 17. Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. In case we miss that this is her making a covenant, she puts a curse upon herself and says, if I don't fulfill this, may I die. Where you die, I will die. I'm with you to the end, is what Ruth says to Naomi. So notice that in verse 16, she says, I am not going to return from following you. I'm not going to turn away. This language of turning is very important to this passage. And in verse 22 of chapter 1, which is not part of our reading, we hear something that is quite astonishing. Let me read it to you. This is Ruth 1:22. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. If you catch that right, it says that Ruth returned to Israel. How can you go to a place you've never been? How can you go back to a place you've never been? In the reality of the covenant, Ruth has become a true daughter of Israel. And this has become her true home. Truly, she is coming home to a place that she has never been. Orpah goes back. She sees the cost and is unwilling to pay it. She is unwilling to pay the cost of the renunciation of her identity, her family, and her gods. That tribal identity and geography and worship, these are all tied closely together. So we must not take for granted Ruth's decision. She is making an absolutely astonishing choice. And I would say to us, let us remember that for all our supposed sophistication as modern people, our tribal identities go very deep indeed. (laughs) And to renounce those things is no small thing. That it costs a lot in certain contexts to say yes to God, to respond to the gospel. So this is not just some ancient story that happened long ago, this is live for us. God calls us to turn towards him, but when he calls us to turn towards him, that necessarily implies that we're turning away from something else, turning away from our own way of doing things, embracing him and saying, my God is king, and we're not gonna be like Elimelech in this book and say, no, I'm king, I'm making the decisions. That's the first and primary renunciation that we're called to, is that we turn away from our autonomy, our own way of doing things, and turn toward God and his way of doing things. In this story, the the redemption has begun. The wheels are in motion. But Naomi doesn't see it yet because the redemption is nowhere near complete. And I want to pause here because I don't want to deny Naomi's grief of the loss of her husband and her sons, of her own desolation. In this moment, yes, Ruth is making an astonishing choice, but Naomi obviously doesn't see the full indication of that. 
Again, this is not in our reading, but we see that Naomi understands that names mean a lot. The word Naomi means my pleasantness. And when she returns to Bethlehem, they say, hey, it's Naomi. And she says, no, that's not my name. My name is Mara, which means bitterness. My pleasantness has become bitterness. Fullness has become emptiness. So redemption is in motion, but we can't move too quickly from what she's actually experiencing, the real grief that she has. Before the great reversal comes the very real, very painful, seemingly impossible circumstances that Naomi finds herself in. But even in these verses, in the closing of verse or chapter one, we get this hint that a larger redemption is at play. And they, Ruth and Naomi, came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. They have returned to the house of bread at the beginning of the harvest. A hint of abundance, a hint that that emptiness will actually be filled, that that bitterness could be turned back to pleasantness. I don't need to remind you that right now on the world stage, we have vivid examples of dispossessed and displaced people, both in Haiti and in Afghanistan. And I'm gonna talk about this more in our announcements, but we are uh, collecting a list of material ways that you can help refugees from Afghanistan that are coming to DFW. We have a link on our website for that, but I'll talk more about it. There are Naomi's around us. And I'm gonna skip ahead a little bit and talk about Boaz, he's not on the scene yet. And he plays the role of the redeemer in this story. And the same commentator that I quoted from before, she says this, Mary Ann Taylor. She says, we need to become Boaz's for today's Ruth's. We need to care for the hungry, the displaced, the disenfranchised, the sexually violated inside and outside our communities of faith. See, sometimes we can appeal to providence and say God's at work and then not at ask the next question, which is, what is he asking of me in this moment to do his work, to bring about his redemption? Ruth makes this choice. And God in his providence uses it in a mighty way, in a way that is recorded in scripture, in a way that is woven so deeply into the story of our redemption because Ruth is in the line of Jesus. Now our actions can literally not have that same impact because there's only one Jesus. <laughs> but in the sense of what do our choices, what can they add up to? And how can God use them in a way in his providence to bring his redemption to the world? We need to become the Boazes for today's Ruth. We need to care for the hungry, the displaced, the disenfranchised, inside and outside our communities of faith. I hope that's one of the things that you'll take from the study of this book. One of the things I've taken from the study of the book is seeing this mood to Redeemer in terms of God's providence, in terms of hearing about something that's going on and someone making a phone call and setting these conversations in motion and God moving in an incredible quick way. And that is one layer, it's super important for us. But I think this other layer is important for us as well, is 
what is God's heart for the displaced? What is God's heart for the dispossessed? And what is he asking of us as his people to respond? Um, and like I said, I'll talk a little bit about more of that in, in the announcements. So one thing I would encourage you to do just as we look at the book of Ruth over the next few weeks is take it out and read it. It's just four chapters. Um, it's a great piece of literature. It has qualities of folktale and um, it's very tightly and beautifully crafted and you can get through it pretty quick. You could listen to it in maybe 20, 30 minutes if you have an audio app and just listen to it with these ideas in mind that God can be at work in faithful people even in a faithless time, even in the context of the book of Judges. Listen to it with this idea in mind that God is always doing more than one thing at once. That's part of what providence means, is that God can be at work in my life doing something, and I may or may not be aware of it, but he's multiplying that outwards. It has a ripple effect. That's the glory and the mercy of providence, is that God is always doing more than one thing. And most of the time, we have to take that by faith. But sometimes, we get to peek behind the curtain. Ruth gives us eyes to see the providential work of God in the world. And I pray that it would do that for y'all. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this story, and I thank you for the ways that you work through ordinary people to bring about extraordinary things. And I pray that we would be like Ruth, that we would not cling to the things that are so easy to cling to, but that we would turn away from them in order to turn toward you. And I pray especially, Lord, for the Naomi's of the world right now. The men and women, but especially women who are desolate, who are displaced and dispossessed. And I pray, Lord, that, that we could play our part of redemption in their lives. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.